This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. It's a blessing to be with you. We have been learning about a life of faith as Pastor Josh has taken us through the book of Hebrews and we have learned that a life of faith begins and continues by gazing with awe and adoration at Jesus. In fact, last week, Pastor Josh reminded us that his primary intent week by week is simply to lead us to look at Jesus. And so today we want to do that. Uh, We want to just take a few moments after the day when we celebrate the birth of Jesus to look at Jesus, the baby born in Bethlehem, and more specifically to think about what we see. And we want to do that from Micah's prophecy in the Old Testament that tells us about the location of Jesus' birth in Micah chapter 5. Micah's prophecy, like most Old Testament prophecies, is uh, a prophecy about judgment and restoration. Micah saw the rise of Assyria, and he saw the Assyrians moving into the northern kingdom and conquering the northern kingdom um, as an act of judgment against the northern kingdom for their sin. He saw Assyria moving into the southern kingdom, and though Assyria by the grace of God, was not able to destroy Jerusalem. The Assyrians did rampage throughout Judea, and they did ravage many of the towns of Judah, including Bethlehem, the village of David. And Micah also saw the rise of Babylon on the horizon, and he saw the judgment of God coming through the Babylonians upon Judea and the destruction of Jerusalem. And so he asked the question, After all of this judgment and after all of this destruction and captivity, will restoration come? And the definitive answer of God is, yes, restoration will come. A savior will be sent and specifically a baby would be born in Bethlehem. And verse three of our text is gonna tell us that A lady is going to give birth to a child, and when she who is in labor gives birth, that will be the restoration of the people of God. So all of the hopes for restoration and peace would begin not with a mighty warrior, but with a helpless baby who was born not in the center of power and politics and religion, but in an insignificant village, the village of Bethlehem, one of thousands of little villages scattered throughout the countryside of Judea. And yet in that birth, in that baby, restoration will be found. And so God through Micah reveals the coming baby and his his person, who he is and his purpose, what he's all about and his provision and what he will provide. And and what we see is that this baby of Bethlehem is, is the conquering king and he is the caring shepherd and he's the constant peace for all who will trust in him. So let's, let's read what God says through the prophet Micah. In Micah chapter five, we'll begin reading in verse one. 
God says, now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod, they strike the cheek of Israel on the cheek. Or they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek, excuse me. Verse 2, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So when we look at this baby that God promised would be born in Bethlehem, what do we see? Well, let's, let's first of all consider his person. And in verse 2, God tells us when we look at the person of this baby, what we see is one who is our conquering king. He uses this phrase, he says, coming out of Bethlehem is one who is from old. And the, the phrase is a phrase that can refer to ancient historical times, but it's also a word that is used to refer to eternity past. And so this baby who is born is, is coming from everlasting. He's coming from eternity past. And then he is one who is from ancient of days. This is a, a word that generally refers to all of the ancient history of a specific people. And so in this sense, God is tying the baby born in Bethlehem to all the promises of God for a savior, going all the way back to Genesis 3.15 and moving up to Abraham and all the way up to the Davidic promise that the descendant of David would sit upon the throne forever and ever. And of course, Jesus affirmed this, didn't he? In John chapter 8, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and they were questioning his legitimacy. And, and, and he said that Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And they were flabbergasted. They said, you're, you're not even 50 years old. How in the world could Abraham have known you? And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. So what this verse does is it draws us to the fact that this baby is the eternal one who fulfills all of the law and the prophets. So here's what we see. When Jesus was born, his existence did not begin. His earthly life as a human being began, but he had always existed. John put it this way in John 1.1. He said, he in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This was the message the angel gave to Joseph when Joseph was concerned over the fact that, that his fiancée was found to be pregnant, and he had decided to put her away, to divorce her. And the angel appeared to, to Joseph, and he said, don't put her away because she's not been unfaithful. She's not an immoral woman because what has happened to her is a result of the Holy Spirit, and she'll have a baby, and his name will be Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. And then Matthew says that all of this happened so that it would be fulfilled, that a child would be born, and he would be called Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. 
So this baby, when he was born, was absolutely a fully human baby. He was a small, weak, helpless child who grew tired, who got hungry, who cried for his mother. But though he was the creator, he himself became a part of creation as a real child. He entered into human history, the very human history that he had ordained and controls. Jesus was a real human being, but at his birth, Jesus was God. He was fully God and fully man. He is the second person of the Trinity, co-equal and co-eternal with the Father, dwelling eternally in the inapproachable light of his own glory, God with us. The disciples came to understand this one day on a, on a boat. They were out on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus and a storm swelled and it was such a ferocious storm that the disciples, many of whom were experienced seamen, were convinced that they were gonna die. This storm was so horrific and Jesus was asleep in the boat. So they went and they awakened Jesus and they woke him up and they said, Jesus, don't you care that, that we're about to die? And, and Jesus kind of got up and almost nonchalantly spoke. And when Jesus spoke, immediately the storm stopped, the rain stopped falling, the wind stopped blowing, the waves stopped tossing, and the sea was suddenly as smooth as glass. And you know, the Bible says that the disciples were terrified at the storm. He said, when the storm stopped, they became exceedingly terrified. In other words, the less the storm, the more the terror. And they fell before Jesus and they said, who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? They understood Jesus was doing something that only God could do because Jesus is the creator of the seas. He is the author of the winds. He is the sustainer of the waves because he is God. Now notice our text tells us that because he is God in the flesh, he is the ruler of Israel. He is the king who comes fulfilling the ancient promise of God that a descendant of David would sit upon the throne forever. And that truth is emphasized by the fact that this is happening in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the place where Ruth gathered her grain and where she met Boaz and married Boaz and gave birth to her son, Obed. The place where Obed married and fathered Jesse. The place where Jesse married and had his son, David, who would grow to be king of Israel. So the angels, when they appeared to the shepherds, they said, for unto you is born this day, specifically in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Now here's the thing about David. Under David, Israel saw her most glorious days. Economically, Israel prospered under David as never before. Geographically, David expanded the borders and enlarged the territory of Israel to its greatest territorial um, place. Militarily, Israel grew under David to be a powerful nation that subdued her enemies. David was a great king. David was the greatest of Israel's kings. But David's rule only extended so far and only existed for so long a time. 
But because he is Emmanuel, Jesus came fulfilling the ancient promise to be an even greater king than David. And through Micah, God says in verse 4, this baby, the king of Israel, he will rule to the ends of the earth forevermore. When, um, when we went uh, to Nepal, um, which was a fantastic trip that all of you should plan on going to next time Scott plans. Um, we don't need 60-year-olds. We need 30-year-olds. So we, we went, and you, you've heard some of the stories, you know, from Kathmandu. We, we flew to Tumlingtar, and, and then we got in the, the infamous Jeep. It's not really a Jeep. It's really a Mahindra SUV that was designed for six people, and we had nine in it. That was part of the problem. And, um, and we set off for, for about seven and a half hours on the worst road in the history of the world. And uh, we, ro- we rode until that road ended. And uh, we spent the night and we got up the next morning and left at six and trekked for 12 hours. And uh, to the next place we were going to sleep, we slept there. We got up the next day, a little before seven, we set off and we trekked for six hours. Well... The rest of them trekked for five hours. I trekked for six hours. Uh, I took the scenic highway. Um, And and we got to the village of Chippewa. And after all of that, all of the flying to Kathmandu, the flying to Tumlingtar, the drive to Barun, the the trekking for 12 hours, trekking for five or six hours. And we got to this little village and there's a little church there, a little group of believers and they're meeting and they're worshiping. And Sky preached that day and preached a powerful message. And his message to them was how their calling was to go beyond their village. And a- after that time of fellowship with them and worship with them, we, we trekked about three more hours to the village of, Chep- uh, of uh, Chemtang. And we spent the night there. And the next day, we, we met with the leaders of, of that church in Chemtang, just a little, little group of believers. And they're the last village before you enter into the land of the Naba, the people that we're praying for and, and seeking to reach. And we talked to them about what plans do you have? How can we help you? How can we equip you to reach into Naba land? And there was a young man there who was a part of that fellowship who was already going every week to the Naba villages to share the gospel. And I, I, the, the thought that just filled my heart and mind that I couldn't escape was that here we have, we have gone as far, I think, as humanly possible from civilization. We, we did not reach the end of the earth, but we could see it from there. And we were, we were in as, as isolated a place as I have ever seen in my life on the top of the world. And the grace of Jesus was there. And there were followers of Jesus there who wanted to gather and worship and sing and hear the word of God. And you know what else I thought? Not only is the grace of Jesus there. Listen, the rule of Jesus is there. Jesus is the king in every one of those villages And as the king of Israel, the rule of Jesus extends to all creation, to every nation, every tribe, and every language group. When Jesus gave the commission to carry his grace into the world, he began by saying, all authority is given to me, all authority in heaven and all authority on earth. 
Listen, from his throne, Jesus rules. And we may not see the visible rule of Jesus in its totality right now, but as the sovereign one, he is in control of all things. Proverbs 21.1 says, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and he turns it wherever he wills. And this morning, President Putin, President Biden, and Chairman Xi are not in control. Jesus is in control. The baby of Bethlehem is Lord of heaven and earth. And kingdoms rise and fall at his command. Rulers come and go at his word. And the baby of Bethlehem, the conquering king, the Lord Jesus, the king of Israel, remains as king of kings and Lord of lords. And be certain that one day we will see the fullness of his reign when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is our conquering king. What else do we see? Well, let's consider his purpose. Look again in verse 4. When we look at the purpose of this baby, we see that he is our caring shepherd. God says, he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. The baby of Bethlehem would come to shepherd his people. A shepherd is someone who lovingly cares for his sheep. He leads them. He protects them. He provides for them. You all remember in John chapter 10, Jesus presented himself as the good shepherd. The good shepherd who knows his sheep, who loves them, who guards them, who fights for his sheep. I think probably one of the most endearing parables that Jesus told to, to anyone is the parable of the shepherd and his 100 sheep, right? Jesus said that this good shepherd was bringing his sheep to the fold and he counted them and he realized there's only 99 instead of 100. And so he, he puts those 99 in the sheepfold and he gets his cloak and he gets his, he gets his rod and his staff and he goes out into the darkness. He goes out into the danger to find that lost sheep. And when he finds that lost sheep, he lovingly puts that sheep on his shoulder and he carries it home. My dog is one of the most affectionate dogs you'll ever meet. She's also not obedient. She's a squirrel dog. And um, so it, it is her nature to, to run and chase squirrels. And um, she, she desires on occasion to escape the comfort and the love of the wonderful home that Beverly and I have provided for her. And uh, if she gets out of the house or she gets out of the yard, she bolts and she is gone. And she's gone romping through the forest looking for squirrels that she can find and chase. Well, I set out after her. And I have to tell you, when I set out after her, the thought that's in my mind usually is, I'm going to find that dog and I'm going to teach her a lesson. <laughs> and I may not be a good pet owner, but that's, that's the truth. I'm going to find that dog. I'm going to teach her a lesson. Listen, when the good shepherd goes out into the wilderness, putting his own safety at risk, when Jesus goes out looking for those who are lost, he doesn't go thinking, man, I'm going to find them and I'm going to teach them a lesson. He goes thinking, 
I'm going to bring them home. That's the heart of our shepherd because he's a caring shepherd who loves his people. And there's irony here, isn't there, that, that as a shepherd, he stands. He holds his ground. The word means with, with courage to, to hold his ground. And as the shepherd stood against predators who would kill the sheep, as he stood against the nature of the sheep themselves who would, who would roam away, as he stood against false shepherds who would steal the sheep, even so on our behalf, our shepherd stands. And, and the irony is that, that from a helpless baby in an insignificant Bethlehem to a crucified criminal on a rugged Roman cross, what we see is apparent weakness. But this shepherd who comes, Jesus, God says, will stand in the strength and the majesty of the name of the Lord our God. So that what appeared to be weakness to the world was in fact the triumphant power of God bringing salvation to all who are truly helpless and lost in sin. So facing the temptation and the deceit and the enticements of Satan, Jesus stood during the trickery and evil intents and false teachings of religious leaders. Jesus stood in the Loneliness and heartache and stress of Gethsemane. Jesus stood during the injustice and the unrighteousness and the cruelty of Rome. Our shepherd stood amid the torture and the humiliation and the agony of the cross. Our shepherd stood bearing the sorrow and the shame and the God-forsakenness of our sin. He stood facing death and hell and the grave, our shepherd did not run away. He would not leave us alone without a shepherd. And when he cried out, it is finished, our shepherd had stood for us. He had won the war for us. He had delivered us from our sin. When he rose triumphantly, making a mockery of evil's futile attempt to hold down the author of life, our shepherd had stood for us and he had secured for us eternal life. Remember in Matthew chapter 9, Matthew tells us that Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. That is, he was moved with, with pity, with, with the desire to actually do something to help. He saw the multitudes helpless and hopeless without a shepherd. And Jesus assumed that role on our behalf. He is the caring shepherd who in love provides for us. He is the bread of life who in a famine stricken land satisfies our deepest hunger. He is the water of life who in the arid desert quenches the thirst of our souls. He is the Lord of the Sabbath who in a tumultuous world gives us rest. Jesus is our loving shepherd who comes and protects us. He is the door of the sheepfold who bars anyone from entrance who would come in and destroy us. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He is the all-powerful one who holds us in his hands from which no one can snatch us away. 
He is the good shepherd who comes to lead us. He is the light of the world who in the darkest night guides us home. He is the way, the truth, and the life who brings us into fellowship with the Father and provides all that we need to be right with God. He is the good shepherd of Psalm 23 who gently leads us down the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Listen, Jesus has gone into the dark wilderness of our rebellion and our roaming and he has compassionately loved us and brought us home. He is our caring shepherd. One of the men who led us when we were in Nepal was uh, a man named Linduk, just a wonderful, godly man. And um, he was made his living leading expeditions. He had summited Everest, so his esteem in our eyes has gone up considerably. And um, he said when he, when he summited Everest, he cried tears of joy. He said there was one occasion as a trek leader that he had cried with fear. He was leading a group on a trek through um, a pass between mountains uh, at about 21,000 feet. And they had camped that night in that pass. And during that night, a blizzard had come in. And when he woke up, he went out of his tent. The blizzard was blowing and everything was covered in snow. It was a whiteout. And in every direction that he turned, all he could see was snow. All the landmarks were covered. He couldn't see the horizon. It was just wind and snow and white ground everywhere. And he didn't have all of his equipment. And he realized, I don't have my GPS. I, I don't have a way to get out of here. I have no idea which way to go. And he said he went back into his tent. And the first time ever as a guide leading an expedition, he cried for fear. Well, that's the end of the story. I'm kidding. <laughs> Can you imagine? Fortunately, an, another guide came along later in the day who had GPS. And they took that GPS, and in spite of not being able to see anything of where they were going, the GPS led them in the direction that they needed to go. I, I want to tell you today, if you're lost, if you're overwhelmed by sin, if you're discouraged by the battle, if you're fearful about life or death, if you can't see where to go, follow the shepherd. Follow the shepherd. He will lead you home. Our Lord Jesus is our conquering king and our Lord Jesus is our caring shepherd. And thirdly, we'll see in verse five as we consider his provision he is our constant peace. He is our constant peace. Now, he will dwell safely, he says in verse 4. They will dwell secure because he will be their peace. In fact, there's a connection there. It is because he is our peace that we dwell with security. And this peace is more than just an absence of war. It is first and foremost peace with God. And then peace with others and peace with ourselves. Because here's the problem. Judah was being judged because of her sin. The destruction and the captivity that was coming upon her was coming because she was not right with God. And so more than physical restoration, the people of Judah needed to be right with God through forgiveness. Well, that's the way the Bible describes us. The Bible describes us as rebels. 
who because of our rebellion have made ourselves to be the very enemies of God. That we've not only broken God's rules, we have defied God's right to rule over us. So consequently, we are at enmity with God because of our sins. So more than anything, we need forgiveness. More than anything, we need peace with God that comes through reconciliation. We need a renewed, restored relationship with God that comes about by forgiveness. So how then is Jesus our peace? Jesus is our peace because he's the one who provides us with forgiveness so that we can be right with God. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 2.13. He says, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Echoing the prophecy of Isaiah 53, 6, that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What we see is that the baby of Bethlehem became the sacrifice of Calvary. And as our substitute, he died in our place. So Jesus received the punishment that we deserve because of our sin. And with our sin penalty paid by the blood of Jesus, we can be brought into a right standing with God. Listen, because of the death of Jesus on our behalf, we have peace. We have peace with God. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul said in Romans 5.1. So what has Jesus done to be our peace? Jesus has taken our sin debt and he's paid it in full. He's taken our rebellious hearts and he's melted it with his love. He's taken our rebel spirit, our enemy spirit, and he's awakened it by his grace. He's taken the guilt that we have occurred, accrued because of our sin and he's cast it away forever in his mercy and granted us peace. And because he is the conquering king who is the eternal son of God, because he is the shepherd who loves and cares for his people, this peace is constant and forever. So today and every day, there's no more fear and anxiety about judgment. There's no more guilt and shame about past sins. There's no more confusion about the future. There's no more lack of assurance about God's love. There's no more doubt about his promise. What God does is God takes us to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he says, look, there's an empty cross and there's an empty tomb. Look at Jesus. He is your peace. Because he is the means by which God has shown us his love and secured our salvation. John put it this way in 1 John 4, 10. Here in his love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and gave his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, we have a savior who is our conquering king and our caring shepherd who has done everything to give us peace with our creator, a creator who loves us eternally. Why would we be anxious? If we're anxious, it's probably because we're not looking at Jesus. 
So a life of faith begins and continues by looking with awe and adoration at Jesus, who he is and what he's done. And that's exactly what God is saying in this prophecy about the birth of Jesus being in Bethlehem. He's saying, listen, don't just go to Bethlehem. Go to Bethlehem and look. Look at Jesus. Look at who he is. Who he is and what he's done is revealed in his birth. It's demonstrated in his death and resurrection. It's confirmed in his rule. He's our conquering king and our caring shepherd and our constant peace. He is worthy for us to trust and follow every day of our lives. So can we fast forward about 700 years? Uh, Don't say could we fast forward about 10 minutes. Okay, that's not nice. Let's... Let's fast forward 700 years and let's think about Bethlehem. We're in the city of Jerusalem. Herod is the king. And one day a group of wise men show up from the east and they come knocking on Herod's palace asking about a baby, a baby who was born king of the Jews. Well, Herod wasn't a Jew, so Herod called together all the scribes and the high priest, the people who were the experts on scripture, the people who knew all the answers about God. And Herod asked them about the location of the baby's birth. And without hesitation and without any doubt, the scribes and the Pharisees announced the birthplace of Bethlehem, of Jesus was Bethlehem. And they said, because scripture says it. And they quoted Micah 5, 2, the text that we've been studying this morning. And what happened next was the response of all of those people to the word of God in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. There are the wise men. They heard the word of God. And they set out, their hearts full of awe and adoration, eager to find the newborn king, determined to find him, to worship him, and to give him gifts. Their hearts were full of adoration for Jesus. And there was Herod. Herod heard the same promise. The same declaration of the word of God. And Herod set out to plot. He set out to find a way to destroy anyone who would dare usurp his power. And then there were the religious leaders. They heard the same word. In fact, they're the ones who knew the promise. They're the ones who announced the promise. They didn't go anywhere. Did it ever strike you as odd that the very people who knew the word of God, the one who were the experts on scripture when they found out Micah 5, 2 is happening, they closed their Bibles and went home. Evidently, they had no desire to go, no desire to worship, no desire to submit 
to the newborn king of Bethlehem. You know what I know the truth? They wanted to maintain the religious status quo of their lives. Well, they wanted to go to the temple. They wanted to follow the rules. They loved all the trappings of religion. But they were completely apathetic about a real relationship with Jesus. The same text, the same promise, some hearts full of adoration, some full of antagonism, some filled with apathy. And so here we are today, and we've heard the same word of God. We've heard the same scripture promise. But not only that, we know it's happened. We stand on this side of the birth of Jesus. We stand on this side of the cross of Jesus. We stand on this side of the resurrection of Jesus. We stand on this side of the ascension of Jesus. We have the New Testament that explains all of it, but we hear the same promise. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the shepherd. Jesus is the means of reconciling us to God. So where do you stand today? When you hear about this Jesus, who he is and what he's all about, where do you stand? Because if, if you're a follower of Jesus today, you know that a life of faith does begin with looking in awe and adoration of Jesus. And, and when, when we hear that Jesus is the conquering king, when we hear that he's the caring shepherd, when he hears that he's our constant peace, it just, it fills our heart with joy, doesn't it? And, and it equips us and it encourages us to live a life of faith. And that's my desire today. I think that's what the Lord would desire for us as we look at this text to see this about Jesus and, and let it equip us, let it encourage us that Jesus is worthy of us following him every day. He's worthy of a life of faith. But he's all of that if we really want him. So I wonder today, do you want that? Do you want a king? Do you see that you need a savior? Do you really want peace with God or do you somehow just want to maintain the religious status quo of your life? Jesus is worth more than the status quo. Jesus is worth everything. He's worth every day of our life. And when we follow us, he, follow him, he will always lead us home. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to sing. And the intention of our singing is to end our day with praise. We want to worship Jesus, who is our king. We want to worship Jesus, who is our shepherd. We want to worship Jesus, who is our peace. And, and as we sing, this isn't just a sullen moment where we're standing around hoping someone goes down forth. This is a joyous moment where we are amening. We are affirming what the word of God says as we worship Jesus. But this is also a time of response. And, and we will have uh, pastors and church leaders here at the front. And if you have a need today that you just need to come and, and pray, 
you can come and pray here at the front. If you need someone to pray with you or pray over you, we'll have folks here, men and women, who can, who can do that and would be thrilled to do that. If, if you're here today and you know that you've never trusted Christ, there are people who can take you back to a private place and show you from Scripture how you can know Jesus. This is a time of worship. It's also a time of response. And whether you come to the front or not, I, I, I pray that the song of your heart would be your response, a response of faith that I believe Jesus is king and I want to submit to him. I believe Jesus is shepherd and I want to follow him. I believe that Jesus is my peace and I want to trust and rely upon him. But as we sing that you would give your heart in whatever way needs to happen to Jesus today. Would you join me as we pray? Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.